Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Amen. Now, before I get into my message this morning, we have uh, uh, something special that we want to do. And uh, this is a special weekend, so if you would just join in us, join with us in it, we'd appreciate you. So I'm going to ask uh, Jeff and Rosemary Adams if they would come uh, to the front of the stage. Also, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Alex to come, Pastor Harry, Pastor uh, Howard um, Melendez to come, and my wife Kathy, if she would come. Amen. Now, what we've set this moment aside for um, today is for the purpose of officially uh, ordaining someone really who deserves this ordination as the office of pastor. Amen. And uh, amen. Amen. It's my honor today to um, honor Rosemary. Um, She really has worked very hard uh, to get to this place. she has been in this church. She's probably, her and Jeff, I think outside of maybe Bill and Sue Frank and their boys, I think uh, Jeff and Rose have been in the church longer than anyone else, all the way back into 1981. Wow. 1981, they came to the church, amen. And uh, uh, they've, they've, they've been here through thick and thin, and uh, Rosemary has actually been on staff since August of 2001. And so there's a lot of history here. And Rose has served in uh, many different capacities in our church, everything from uh, nursery director to uh, doing the administration, paying bills, counting the offering, to teaching and preaching and leading ministries. Uh, many of you know her work in the, the uh, women's ministry and beyond and all that she does. And, you know, one thing about Rosemary that, that I want to say is truly she has a pastoral heart. She loves Amen. this church, Amen. and she loves people, loves the people of this church. And so uh, Rosemary just uh, recently, a few months ago, finished her bachelor's degree uh, in biblical studies. I believe it's biblical studies. Or, yeah, biblical studies from GCU. Amen. Uh, she did that with a 4.0 grade point average. Amen. Amen. And you know, one of the things, not only do we just, not only are we doing this today just to honor her, but this is part of what I believe is the mandate of this church. Uh, Many of you, if you've been around any length of time, you'll have heard me say that what we want to do is we want to reach, restore, and release. We've reached Rosemary. (laughs) Took a long time to restore her. No, I'm just just teasing. Now we're releasing her. You know, and what it is, is we we really do want to release people into their destiny and their calling and what God has done in their life. And, you know, Rose and I over the years have had a lot of conversations concerning her calling, and and both of us have come to the conclusion that this really is what God is up to and what he's doing with her. So what we're going to do today is we're going to ask that you stretch your hands forward, and we're going to lay hands on her, and we're going to uh, believe God will... Uh, ordain her and anoint her and we're going to decree that and declare that today and so you pray with us would you 
Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, as we lay hands upon Rosemary, Father, we pray that you, God, would anoint, God, Lord, that oil that flows from heaven, the Holy Spirit, to, from the top of her head to the tips of her toes, Father, we pray right now, God, that you would ordain her, Father. We know that before the foundation of the earth, you ordained her, and so, Father, we pray that this right now, God, would be solidified. Father, give her wisdom, give her understanding, give her, God, discernment, Father, use her in a mighty way, God, Lord, to further your kingdom, to further your will in the earth. And Father, we thank you today, and Lord, we count it as done, Lord, and we know this is the will of God, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So you wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> Amen. God is good, isn't he? All the time. Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning. Amen. We're going to continue on this morning with the series we began uh, last week. Um, we began this series with Emmanuel, God with us. Obviously, it is a Christian, or I'm sorry, a Christmas uh, theme. But, you know, one of the things that I don't want to do, and I was thinking about this in between services today, what I don't want to do, and, and I actually, I, I don't like the, even the thought of this. I don't want to get just lost in the idea of this is a Christmas theme. Um, and the reason why is because I think this is bigger than a Christmas theme. This, there's more to this for us than just a season. Amen. You know, we, we say all the time, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, I'd like to change that. Jesus is the reason. Don't qualify it. Jesus is the reason, period. It's, he is. I love, you know, God's... Uh, uh, response to Moses when Moses said, well, who should I tell them has sent me? You say, you tell them I am. I mean, that's confidence. Can, you know, it's just, you just tell them I am sent you. And I love that. I love that. And part of the reason I love that is because it gives us a, a, an understanding that he is more than a name. Okay. Obviously, his name and the names that we attribute to him uh, declare a facet of who he is, but there is no way that we could ever encapsulate our God in a name. He's much bigger than a name. Can you say amen? amen? And so there is way more going on here in the story that we're reading and that we're looking at than just his name and just the fact that it's the Christmas season. There's way more than that. And so I want to read again, if you'll just bear with me, the text we read from last week. Uh, and we're going to do this again next week because this is a three-week uh, series. And I just use this to set the platform, if you will, to get us going. So it says in Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter uh, 1, verse number 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the significance this morning of Christmas is not merely that a baby was born, but the significance of Christmas, in my mind, is that God invaded humanity and this world as a baby. I love that thought. And the reason I love that thought is because if I were God, I wouldn't come as a baby. I, I would come... It would be awesome. It would be tanks and airplanes and missiles and, you know, and I would reach into the future and get some stuff we don't even know about and go, I'm going to, it's going to be shock and awe. I I, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? But it's a good thing I'm not God. I I don't know that I would do well. I, I, I have a hard time just being me, let alone being God. But God in his infinite wisdom and in his divine power and authority, comes to earth as a baby. And the amazing thing is, is this is such a (coughs) groundbreaking, earth-shattering moment. Why is that? Because not only is God invading humanity, but the God who is considered in the Old Testament as being the unapproachable, he dwells in unapproachable light. He became Emmanuel, God with us. He changes everything. Everything is turned upside down. And the Bible declares to us he was the child who was born, but he was also the son that was given so that we could have an everlasting example of what we're capable of. He is the prototype of sonship. He is the first son. And he shows us what sonship is all about. He shows us what we can be in right relationship with the Father and filled with the Holy Spirit, what we're actually capable of as the children of God. And he comes and he reveals to us the Father so that we would know what it's like to have God with us rather than God being this distant deity that is unapproachable, that if you see his face, you would die. He now is an intimate father that we can know, that we can talk to him, that we can walk with him, and that we can live with him. The Bible says in verse 23 of our text, it says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Church, we have got, I was, once again, I was thinking about this uh, at, at, uh, during, between the services. We have got to stop minimizing what God does in our life. 
I mean, you know, we hear stuff so often. We've seen baby Jesus in the manger. We, we have precious moment drawings of baby Jesus in the manger, and we forget, we lose our understanding of the incredible greatness of this fact and the wonder that this is God with us. He's with us. And sometimes we can get so bogged down in the familiar that we lose the appreciation of the awesome. Can you say amen to that? Now I want you to think about this with me because it really is easy to believe that God is with us when things are going good. When you're on the mountaintop, it's easy to believe that God is there. Whenever you get good news, when you get a raise, we go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I knew you, I knew. When, when, when your baby sleeps all night through the night, you're like, oh, thank God, you're with me, Lord. When you get a parking spot at Walmart where you don't have to walk all the way across the parking lot, you're, thank you, God, you're so good. You're with me. It's easy to sense the presence of God when things are going good and when you're on the mountain. But sometimes it's more difficult to sense his presence when you're in the valley, when things aren't going the way you would want them to go, and you get some bad news. Or maybe you're hurting and things are struggling. Maybe you're feeling a little bit alone. Maybe you're worried. Maybe you're afraid. It's a little hard to feel his presence when you're battling depression. And this is the thing that amazes me is this season that we celebrate God with us, the hope of generations, the hope of the world. When we, when we, we have that, that understanding and that knowledge, we as people struggle the most at this time with depression. We're down and we're bummed out. That ought not to be. Can you say amen? And I'd like to think that that was just the world, but church, I see it in Christians too. We struggle. We struggle. So I want to talk today about God in the valleys, about God in the wilderness, and about God in the storms. It's interesting to me that so much of the time, Much of our life can be going very well. We can be doing quite well. We've got all these areas where we are on the mountaintop. And then there's that one area, that one thing that just brings a serious weight to our life. That one thing that weighs everything else down. Maybe your marriage is blessed, but you kind of got some crazy kids that make some stupid decisions or... Maybe you're enjoying your closeness to God and you sense God's presence, but at the same time, you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Or, or maybe you're really excited about the holidays, getting together with family, and yet you just get some bad medical news about you or about someone in your family. And all of a sudden, those, those moments, that one thing begins to weigh on you, and it can take you from the mountaintop right into the valley. Can you say Amen. And I want you to think about this for a few moments with me. Where is God in those valleys? See, when you look at Scripture, it's interesting to see that valleys, they really do represent some things in the Word of God. And the valley is where the 
Most of the battles took place. Rarely are you going to see a battle on a mountaintop. It's usually in the valley where battles took place. And battles are decisive. They determine things. And so oftentimes in the valleys of life, it's where we battle out some decisions and things are determined. And valleys can represent seasons of desperation, seasons of difficulty. Yet it's also interesting to me that in the valley, there can be great times of growth. There can be great times where things change and things happen. See, it's on the mountaintop where we learn to enjoy him. But it's in the valley where we get to know him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look at Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, Happy are those who are strong in the Lord, who set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs where pools of blessing collect after the rains. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. This is an amazing scripture because it's talking about the, 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 the Hebrew children that would journey to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God. But oftentimes on your way to the presence, there was a valley that you had to go through. And this was called the Valley of Baca or the Valley of Weeping. But God says in that valley, it becomes a place of refreshing. It becomes where there is blessing. It becomes a place where strength comes and you grow stronger. Now there's no doubt that at some time or another we have all, as we travel through this life, been in a valley of weeping. And it's in the midst of this place, the the place of depression and desperation and difficulty, the place where everything seems lost that Emmanuel reveals himself to us. He lives up to his name And we discover that he truly is with us. See, we learn and see things about God, facets about God that we can see nowhere else except there. It takes the contrast of the valley to reveal the wonder of God with us. Listen to this phrase, happy are those who are strong in the Lord. Literally because it's, there's a great blessing favored for those who are, whose strength comes from the Lord. There is blessing. There is strength. Why? Because in that place, in that valley, we can be assured that he is there. Listen, Psalm 23, verse 4. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now listen to this. Nothing in all of creation is capable of casting a shadow without a light standing against it. This is the revelation that David has in this psalm. He says, I know I'm going through a valley, and it looks like the shadow of death. It seems like death is looming. But he understood that the only way death could cast a shadow is if there was a light uh, that shined against it. And I declare to you, it is Emmanuel that shines against uh, the death that would overtake us. uh, And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God is in the valley. I want to share with you a few 
passages of scripture that they've meant something to me over the years. And you need to hear these because this really, it really decries, it really shares with us where God is in our struggle. In Isaiah 41, verse 10 and 13, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. I don't know if there can be anything more securing, more satisfying, more comforting than when a parent will take the hand of a child who is scared and say, come close to me. Let's go. I gotcha. It's going to be okay. Church, God didn't put that in there so it could be poetic. He put it in there as a prophecy to you and I of his intention that when we are in the valley, he will take us by the hand and he will lead us out and he said, you have nothing to be afraid of because I am with you. Can you say amen? In Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3 it says, but now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, where, where do waters flow? In a valley. I will be with you and though the rivers uh, through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? I know there's things coming against you. I know there's a work that's coming. There's an attack. He says, but you're not going to get burned. You're not going to be overwhelmed. You're going to go through the valley just fine. Can you say amen? Jeremiah 119, he says, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's God's promise. Listen to it. It's his promise. It is who he is. It's why we're celebrating this Christmas. Why? Because we have a Christmas tree and presents under it? No. Is anything wrong with it? No. Have a time. The Christmas turkey or ham or lasagna, whatever you eat, have a time. But don't forget, he is God with us. Can you say amen? And he is God with us in the valley. Church, this is the promise of heaven. It's the essence of Christmas. No matter what valley you may be in, Emmanuel is with us. Not only is he in the valleys, but he's in the wilderness too. The wilderness is a little bit of a different place. It's a little different than the valley. And the reason why is because in the times of wilderness, the wilderness experience usually lasts a little bit longer. 
Now, depending on your perspective, the reality of the wilderness is it can be a great place of adversity or it can be a great place of beauty. I have seen some, uh, Kathy and I, a couple years ago, actually, I think it was, no, it was when, we, when were we in Death Valley? About five years ago, somewhere around there. It was, it was a while back. We, it was a long time ago. We were, we were in Death Valley, and there was some vistas as we were coming over the mountains looking into Death Valley, and we went through there in July. No, no, we don't go anywhere easy, I'm telling you. It's like, oh, hey, it's July. Where do you want to go? Death Valley. There's this, that's... And we go through that place, and there were some places where you look, oh, and the, and the so, scenic, you know, place, we stop at scenic right places. And we, we're looking, and it's like, oh, my God, that's beautiful. Right. But I could tell you I don't want to live there. No. <laughs> when we got in the bottom and they had the thermometer there and it said 132, it was time to leave. <laughs> the wilderness is, some places can be Breathtaking. But they're never, the wilderness is never a place of ease or comfort. The wilderness is a harsh place where days are long and nights are longer. Its atmosphere is given to extremes. The wilderness is a dry place where thirst is common and satisfaction is rare. The wilderness is a place where it's empty, where vulnerability and need are amplified. The wilderness is an intimidating place where fear and insecurity rule and reign. The wilderness is a dangerous place where doubt and unbelief will attack. The wilderness is a barren place, a desolate place where you feel alone and you feel very alone. And one of the images that's often found in the Bible concerning the wilderness is it's a place where people wander and they wander through it. He said, why are you preaching this? I, I wanted to talk about Emmanuel being good. The reality of this sermon is it's an acknowledgement of what life is really like sometimes. Amen. See, sometimes we get so caught up in the glitz and the glamour, uh, glamour of, of, of the sign, Emmanuel, and look at all of the shiny bulbs. But let me tell you something, that big sign with all its lights is not going to solve the problem when you're in the wilderness this Christmas. But I can tell you what that represents, the one called Emmanuel. He is going through the wilderness with you. And that's what we're here to talk about today. See, it's in the place, in that place of the wilderness when you begin to wonder, how in the, how, when is this going to be over? How am I going to get out of this wilderness? And anyone that has served God for any length of time has their stories of their wilderness. And the truth be told... Some of us are in that place right now. Whether it's a dying marriage or a dying loved one, you're in the wilderness place. It may be a wayward child or unfaithful spouse. It's a wilderness. You may be in the state of joblessness or on the verge of homelessness. You're in the wilderness. You may be confused, misdirected, misunderstood, overlooked. You're in a wilderness. Can you say Amen. And when you are in the wilderness and you are struggling for your life, it's a tough place. Discouragement and disappointment are trying to devour you. Demons are trying to take over. Desperation and despair become your traveling buddies. It's the wilderness. It's a harsh and dry, dangerous, intimidating place. But it's also a place where many live. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
But you need to understand something. The wilderness is also a God-ordained place. You say, why? Why? Because God's divine pulpit is in the wilderness. Because it's in that place, in the wilderness, where God has our attention. Amen. And it's in that place that God, let me tell you, God will show you your deepest need. Oh, it hurts. But let me tell you, when you see your deepest need, it will become your greatest gift. Why is that? Because your deepest need drives you to depend on God. And he will become Emmanuel, God with us. And let me tell you, that changes everything, church. You, 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 will, you will go from your midnight to your noonday in a moment of time. You know what midnight is? is midnight is the darkest of the night. It's the furthest from the dawn. There is no hope of light at midnight. But it's at midnight. It's when you're struggling that God shows you, if you'll trust me, if you know I'm here, I will take you to noonday. As fast as you went in, you will come out. Can you say amen? And it's in that place that God meets our deepest needs. And God ministers to us in our moment of vulnerability. How many remember the story of Elijah when he confronted the prophets of Baal? If you remember that story, Israel, it's found in 1 Kings 19. Israel had run amok. They had kind of started to worship. Not kind of, they were headlong into worship of Baal. King Ahab and his queen Jezebel were ruling the nation and they were setting up idols and there was all this going on. God had decreed that no rain would fall and they're right in the middle of this drought and this famine that's going on and Elijah shows up one day and he says to the people of Israel, he says, how long will you be halt? How long are you going to be stopped between two opinions? He says, I have an idea. He says, let's, let's build an altar. Let's place a sacrifice on it. And he says, and let's pray. The prophets of Baal can pray to their God, and I will pray to Jehovah. And the one that answers by fire, let him be God. And all the people says, it is well with us. And so they built the altar. And they, they, the, the prophets of Baal built their altar, and they placed their sacrifice. And all day long, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Nothing. They, they worked themselves into a frenzy until the point that they begin to cut themselves, but no fire from heaven. Amen. Finally, they gave up, and Elijah steps up, and he builds his small little altar. It was nothing to really look at. He puts his sacrifice on it. And then he digs a ditch around it and he tells them to fill the ditch with water and pour water over the sacrifice and on and on. They did it three times. Now remember, water is pretty scarce at this point. Then he prays a simple prayer. Father, will you show them that you are the God of heaven and earth? And fire falls from heaven. It takes up the sacrifice. It takes up the stones. It licks up all the water and all the dust. And they are amazed. It is a mountaintop moment. It's a, as a pastor, that's one of those moments where you go, yes, sir. Right on. It's one of those moments we all want. But then, with every mountaintop experience, the corresponding wilderness is sure to follow. Because then, that night, 
as Elijah is celebrating his victory, he gets word from Jezebel. And she says, because he he, he, after the victory, he had killed all the prophets of Baal because we ain't serving them guys no more. And Jezebel says to Elijah, says, this time tomorrow, I'm going to do the same thing to you as you did to my prophets. And here's the man of faith and power. He runs. He takes off. Heads into the wilderness. He, he goes 100 miles away. He's getting, this is a guy that's putting some distance. And he sits under a tree and he says, God, just kill me now. Stuart, kill me. Get it over with. I'd rather die by your hand than by hers. It's a common prayer. More common than you know. We, we have all prayed it in one fashion or another. Uh-huh. No, we, we, we look at Elijah and go, you bonehead. No, no, we got to just get in line with Elijah. Finally, God takes him to a cave. And Elijah has an experience that we need to hear. And it's found in 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12. And it says, then he said, and this is the angel speaking, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And you got to ask yourself, what's happening here? What's going on? Well, remember, Elijah is in the wilderness. He's running for his life. He's filled with fear. He doesn't know what's going on. And God needs to get a message to him. God needs to get his attention. And so he uses the wilderness to do a demonstration. And what he shows him is he says, God is not. He goes, I'm not in the remarkable. I'm in an ordinary whisper. Why is it? When life is so difficult, God's voice seems to be so quiet. Why is he so gentle? Why is his voice so still and so small? If God wants me to hear him, why does, why does he whisper? Why, why doesn't he shout? Why doesn't God speak loud and powerfully in spectacular ways? Well, let me tell you something. This was the message Elijah got. God whispers because he's close. Because he's right there with you. See, the devil shouts his lies. But God whispers his truth. God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close. During song service, I wanted to whisper something to Kathy. I could have looked at her and said, hey, Kathy! I got something to say. You all would have heard it. But I just looked at her and I, I just kind of nodded my head one way or the other. I don't know what I did. And she came close and I whispered. See, a whisper draws you close. It draws you in. A whisper says, I will never leave you or forsake you. A whisper says, every single moment, I'm with you, and I love you more than you can imagine. When you hurt, I hurt with you. 
When you're in the valley, I'm in the valley. When you're in the wilderness, I'm in the wilderness with you. Why? Because I'm Emmanuel. God with us. And the last place he's with us in this sermon is, he says, I'm with you in the storm. And as we come to a close of this sermon, I want to talk about, just for a moment, God's presence in the storm. Years ago, I heard something that really kind of bugs me, and it still bugs me today. I don't like this, but it is true. So I will repeat it to you today because of its truth. I, you need to know I'm going on record saying I don't like it. Okay, are you? But there's a lot of truth I don't like. When I step on the scale, I know it's a lie. But it's the truth. I don't like it. It's kind of one of those things. I heard this a long time ago. He says, either you're coming out of a storm or you're in the middle of a storm or there's a storm just around the corner. Now, I know. Listen to me. Listen to me. I... I am a man of faith, and I believe God. I believe in his power, his provision, and his promise. I believe in it wholeheartedly. I believe I am the thermostat, not the thermometer. I believe I can change the circumstances, not merely react to them. Are you hearing me? I believe that with all my heart. But that belief and that reality does not change the fact that storms come and storms go. It does not change the fact that from time to time I drift into the wilderness or I find myself in a valley. The issue is not whether it's a valley or the wilderness or the storm. The issue is who is in it with me. Can you say amen? Unfortunately, some of you are in a storm right now that you may not understand. And our tendency is when it comes to a storm, we often blame God for our storms. It's where we question him. Why why are you allowing this? Amen. What what are you up to? Why why don't you just move? It would be so easy. If I get it, certainly you get it, God. Well, here's what I have to say to that. Never allow the never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Are you hearing me? This is something the disciples had to learn. I, I have preached many sermons out of this passage of Scripture because it is one of my favorites. It's the story of when Jesus was asleep in the boat. It says in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22, it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and started out. On the way across, Jesus laid down for a nap, and while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise. A fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them, and they were in real danger. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And so Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped, and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? And they were filled with awe and amazement. And they said to one another, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? I have to be honest with you. This, this story bothers me. I, I, really, I, I'm bothered by this whole point in my sermon. And the reason is, is because 
after all, they're doing what God told them to do. Yet they find themselves in a storm, and then when they're freaked out about it, Jesus kind of seems a little petty. Maybe a little, you woke me up for that? I'm just trying to put it into 21st century understanding. You, you woke me up for this? Well, we were scared. This is no ordinary storm. We're about to drown. We're in real danger here. I'm sure these guys put all of their knowledge, their fishing knowledge to work to save the boat. I'm sure they did everything they knew to do, but they became lost at the mercy of the sea. And Jesus is here asleep. Are you kidding me? Say so panic. They shout out, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And Jesus responds. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And the storm stopped and all was calm. We know the story. But why this story? Why is all of this, take, this taking place? Because God is communicating something. They forgot. They forgot something. They forgot who was asleep in the boat. They forgot he's Emmanuel. See, church, <clears throat> I have been in church long enough to sit on that side of the equation as well and shout amen to great victories, hear promises preached, hear talk about people talk about the wonder of God and go, man, that is a powerful truth. And then walk to my car and forget who he is. Hear a sermon on healing. Hear a sermon that says that healing is a part of my redemption. What salvation is to the soul, healing is to the body. That, that Jesus died so that not only could I be spiritually forgiven, healed, and restored spiritually, but that I could be physically healed. I know that to be a truth of the word of God. Just as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, in the desert, and they looked upon the serpent, and they were all healed, so must the Son of Man, that all that look will be forgiven and healed. I know that to be a truth. But oftentimes in the midst of the storm, of a cold or sickness. I will forget. He's Emmanuel. God with us. The disciples knew. Yeah, you're the son of God. You're, you're golden. You're a good guy. We know that you must be sent from heaven. Because no one can do what you do. We know you're, you're something special. But God said, I want you to know who I really am. Years ago, Max Lucado wrote a book called In the Eye of the Storm. <clears throat> and there's a passage, there's a paragraph that he wrote that so wonderfully expresses what I'm talking about. So I'll take a moment, if I can, just a few more seconds of your time and share this with you to make this point. He starts, he says, when you recognize God as your creator, you'll admire him. When you recognize his wisdom, you will learn from him. When you discover his strength, you will rely on him. But only when he saves you will you worship him. 
It's a before and after scenario. Before your rescue, you could easily keep God at a distance, comfortably dismissed, neatly shelved. Sure, he was important, but so was your career, your status, your salary. He was high on your priority list, but he shared the spot with others. Then the storm came. The storm raged. It fought against you. It ripped away the moorings. The night became starless. Despair fell like a fog. Your bearings were gone. And in your heart, you knew there was no exit. Turn to your career for help. Only if you want to hide from the storm, not escape it. Lean on your status for strength. A storm really isn't all that impressed with your title. Rely on your salary for rescue. Many try, all fail. Suddenly, you are left with one option, God. And when you ask, genuinely ask, he comes. And from that moment on, he is not just a deity to admire or a teacher to observe or a master to obey. He is the Savior, the Savior to be worshipped. And that's why I'm convinced, he says, that the disciples would do it again and again. They would endure the storm another night, a thousand other nights, if that's what it took. Because a season of suffering is a small price to pay for a clear view of God. See, church, in the valley, in the wilderness, and in the storm, Emmanuel becomes extremely bright. It's in those places that you go, surely he's with me. God, your name declares who you are. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And church, that's the point of Christmas. Can you say anything? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you, God, for the revelation of your name. And Father, we thank you that you are helping us and you're encouraging us. We do celebrate you at this season. We are so thankful, Jesus, that you came as a child. We're so thankful that you came and invaded earth so that we could know you and walk with you and talk with you, so that we could see you, so that we could be with you. But Lord, we also are so thankful that your coming was a declaration of who you are, that you are God with us. And Father, I pray today that every person in the sound of my voice would hear this and have this revelation. Lord, that we would walk away, Lord, knowing that this Christmas, it's not about the tree or the presents or the celebration, although we enjoy all of that. Lord, it's about that you're with us, that you came to be with us. You wanted to know us and to walk with us, and you wanted us to know, with you, know you and walk with you. And Father, I pray, Lord, is for anyone that's here that would be in that valley or that wilderness or 
that storm. Lord, I pray whatever has brought them in that, that Emmanuel would glow, would, would, would resonate, Lord, that they would feel and sense the manifest presence of God. Bring healing and deliverance and forgiveness. Manifest yourself in ways that we cannot imagine. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good this morning? Praise God. Man, I am just so thankful for him. Our ministry team is coming. Let's stand to our feet. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Remember, thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.